Do not become an enemy of the cross. Or perhaps we could put it another way. Do not be afraid of the cross. Right now, fear is gripping our world. So many people are afraid of what sorts of trials and difficulties the future might bring us. On the global scale, yes, with so much unrest and evil tearing people and families and nations apart, economies apart, everything. But there are also fears much closer to home, deeper and much more personal fears. People are afraid of whether or not they'll be able to raise their kids in today's world. People are afraid of whether or not they'll be able to stay faithful to God under all of the pressures of today's culture. People are afraid if they will be able to afford having another kid. Afraid if God is asking them to move or change jobs. Afraid to share the gospel with people they love. Afraid of conflict. Afraid of disagreement. Afraid to say yes to commitments to every kind. Afraid to take risks. Afraid to push through those tough and grueling years of marriage or priesthood. Afraid of getting sick. Afraid to be holy to look and act differently than the people around us, to put God first in our lives. I think all of these various types of fear could be boiled down to one basic thing. At some level or another, we are afraid of the cross. We can even start to look at the cross as our enemy, something to be kind of avoided at all costs. Why? Well, I know in my own experience, the times I've tried to run away from the cross, it was because I was afraid that God would ask too much from me. That's, that's what I'm always afraid of, that, that God's plan will be too painful, too heavy, too costly, too exhausting. Perhaps we are afraid of the cross because deep down, we are afraid that we will fail. But my encouragement to you all this morning is this. Push through that fear. Push through it. And listen to Jesus instead. That's what our gospel encouraged us to do today, right? At the transfiguration, the voice of God the Father cuts Peter right off. Mid-sentence, I love it. He interrupts him and says from that billowing cloud enveloping them, This is my chosen son. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Listen to my son. If you do that, you will have nothing to fear. Not even the pains and the sufferings of the cross. What does Jesus say to us anyways if we're supposed to listen to him? Well, many things, but in the verses immediately preceding the story that we heard of the transfiguration today... He told his disciples these words, which are probably very familiar to us, and yet somehow they always seem to go in one ear and out the other for us. He says this, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
That is so important for all of us. In order to reach the light of the transfiguration, that blinding and glorious light of the transfiguration and ultimately of the resurrection, we have to first enter into the darkness of the cross with Jesus. Darkness is scary for us, though. Almost every single kid that I know is naturally a little bit afraid of the dark. It's sort of built into us from the outset. Darkness makes us feel alone and vulnerable, doesn't it? We can't see our surroundings, and there's so much that is unknown. But the fact of the matter is this. Darkness is so often the place of encounter with God, with the divine. C.S. Lewis in his book, Till We Have Faces, once asked the question, why must holy places be dark places? And I think that is a profound question and that it hints at something that is very real. Just look at that first reading that we had from the book of Genesis. Abram was first enveloped in a terrifying darkness, it says, before he then was able to see the glory of God in the form of a a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And we might hear that and we might wonder, what in the world is going on in this reading? What in the world is happening? So let's go ahead and break it down today because it's actually very deeply connected to the cross. First of all, God makes Abram an incredible promise, doesn't he? He says, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can, just so shall your descendants be. As numerous as the stars, God is telling Abram, yeah, you are childless at this moment, but one day you will have countless children by my grace, by my mercy. They will be spread throughout the entire world. But Abram wondered, well, how do I know that this is really going to happen, God? What can you do, Lord, to prove that you are trustworthy? And I think that as we hear him ask that question, we can almost hear a bit of the fear that we just described at the beginning of this homily, right? What are you going to ask from me, Lord? What's this going to cost? Is this going to be too much for me? And then the Lord does something completely unexpected and completely revolutionary. God instructs Abram to bring several animals for sacrifice. A heifer, a she-goat, a ram, a turtle dove, a pigeon. Abram then obediently cuts those animals in half and lays them out on the ground. Now to our ears, that is very bizarre. That is very strange. But to the original ancient audience, they would have known exactly what was going down here. Everybody who heard this would have known and were like, God is doing something unbelievable. God is making an unbreakable oath with Abram. He's literally cutting a covenant with him. In the Middle East at that time, unrelated families would form these permanent covenant bonds through blood sacrifice like this. And they would cut the sacrificial animals in two and then walk between those halves as a ceremonial way of saying, if I break this promise, if I break this oath, 
then I will die. I'll die like these animals. Believe it or not, that is what God is saying to Abram. God is making a permanent promise, an unbreakable covenant based on his own life. You don't have anything to fear, Abram. You will become Abraham, father of many nations. I'm in this with you all the way. But there's another even more amazing layer to all of this. Because in that terrifying darkness of the trance that we heard about, we notice something else. Only God passes through those sacrificial animals. Scripture scholars will point out that the text says nothing about Abram walking through on his own. So it's as if God is taking, yeah, his own part, but also Abram's part in this covenantal oath. This is huge. Because think about it. What God is essentially saying by doing this is, don't be afraid of what I am asking from you, Abram. I want to make you a great nation, and I want to bless the entire world through you and through your descendants. Have confidence in me. I will not let you down. I'm faithful. In fact, not only will I hold up my end of the deal, but I will also take your place as well. Does that sound familiar to you? Because it should. That's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. The Son of God took on our human flesh. He became like us in all things but sin. He stood in our place. And then he freely accepted the cross, offering himself in our stead, putting our sins to death in his body. Because guess what? We broke the covenant. We broke the oath. We all, like sheep, had gone astray. We all sinned against God and failed to hold up the human end of the covenant. But then God, because he loves us, sent his son to freely and lovingly become the price of our salvation, the source of healing on the cross. And what does he ask from us? Listen. Listen to him. Stop listening to the fear. Listen instead to Jesus, who is actually very eager to taste his passion for our sake. He's not afraid of it. He knows it's the only way that we are going to be made whole. Only by his wounds will we be made whole. Will we be healed? He speaks freely of his exodus to Moses and Elijah who appear with him while he's transfiguring before Peter, James, and John. What is that exodus? Well, he's talking about his death on the cross, his Passover to the Father, where he will fulfill God's will perfectly, where he will deal the devil a definitive blow, where paradise will blossom again for us. That's what he came to do. And now... He bids us to come and die with him. Are we afraid to follow him that far? 
Are we still afraid that he is asking too much from us? In the book of Revelation, Jesus tells the church point blank. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. It's time for us to listen. To listen to him. Because if we don't listen to him, then we will end up, as St. Paul warns us, becoming enemies of the cross. And our God will be our stomach. And our minds will be occupied with earthly things. And our end will be destruction. St. Paul warns us of all of this with tears in his eyes. He's not angry. He's not being proud or arrogant, saying, look at me, I've already been fixed. No, he's crying. He's crying out to his beloved people. Think of St. Paul's example for just a moment. He was no enemy of the cross, was he? No, he loved the cross. He embraced it wholeheartedly and worked tirelessly, lest the cross be emptied of any of its power. We preach Christ crucified was his battle cry, his glory, his freedom. Paul never boasted in anything except the cross. The world was crucified to him and he to the world. He actually became a living crucifix. So when he says, imitate me, that's what he's inviting us to. Because he was imitating Jesus. So let's make a firm commitment with St. Paul this Lent to become true friends with the true cross. St. John Vianney once said that the worst cross is not to have a cross. And that is very counterintuitive to us, right? But he takes it even further, saying to flee from the cross is to be crushed beneath its weight. We should pray for a love of the cross, he says, and then it will become sweet. Following Jesus is possible today. Being holy is possible today. Embracing and loving the cross is possible right now. Because Jesus is with us and the Holy Spirit has been given to us for just such a moment as this. For this exact time in human history. So grab a hold of the cross. Don't be afraid of it. It's not your enemy. Become friends with it. It is the instrument that will save you.